Welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore what's happening in the LCC galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. I am so pleased because an LCC alum just happened to be in town, I think for the first time in about 10 years. So I'm taking full advantage of inviting our guest today, Rudy Valdez, filmmaker, theater alum, Emmy Award winner, to this podcast. Rudy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And I, I didn't realize what a great sort of radio voice you have until I just heard it on these headphones. It's really Until cool. you heard me on radio, right? Yes. <laughs> in real life, it's a little different. I know. I love headphones and microphones. There's something really just wonderful that they do for your voice. Other guest uh, is Andy Callis, who is a theater professor. He ran the theater studio program when Rudy was a student here. So these guys go way back and have a good history of their time both as a teacher and as a learner. And I, um, there's so many ways we could start this conversation. Rudy, I know you have a lot of projects going on, but I kind of want to just throw it open to you two first to, to share just a little bit about your history in the classroom and on stage together here at LCC. Thanks, Melissa. It's great to see you today and Rudy. Um, Rudy was in the first class that I taught. Uh, the very first one at uh, LCC, he stood out right away with the improvs. And I remember we, we had a, it was like, do a statue of anger. And Rudy looked at it when we were all done. And it's like, oh, the Lansing Eastern Cafeteria. And, uh, but he was, he was wonderful uh, and was a um, great actor in his time here. And I just want to say your voice, hearing it now, it's exactly how I remember it. Just really <laughs> difficult to listen to, uh, kind of upsetting. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, Andy was the um, was my instructor in my when I did the studio program over at here at LCC, and uh, you know he. He really got to know me when I was kind of figuring myself out creatively, which was uh, a lot of fun here. And it was such a wonderful time in, in my kind of realizing that I am a storyteller and, and that I can maybe do this. It was when I started to, to realize that. So it was, a, it was a very interesting time. I love that. And I, one of the opportunities for us here was to have you talk with a class of theater students acting for the camera and listening to you share your path. Um, I think for our listeners, it'd be great to just hear a little bit about that. What drew you to theater in the first place, but then what led you to discover that filmmaking is the way that you really uh, can make an impact telling stories? Yeah, it's such a crazy answer because I don't fully know that answer. I know what made me shift, what made me become a filmmaker, but I don't know what made me think I could do it. I moved to New York to be an actor, to be a writer, to, to do all those things. And, and I did that for a while. And I had a show that I wrote that traveled around a bit. And, um, and I was really out there just sort of trying because, you know, when, when I was here at LCC and then I eventually transferred to Michigan State, um, you know, I, I'm somebody who always tries to look at the long road. You know, I, I, don't, I don't try to say, like, how am I going to figure this out tomorrow? I try to look at, like, the, I play the long game and everything. And, you know, thinking about the long game, 
I know people in my life and in, in, in that, I, that I listen to that have been mentors and that uh, tried to learn from. And one of the things that, you know, I used to hear a lot was I could have done this. I, I probably could have done this and I could have done this. And I thought, I don't ever want to have probabilities or questions about what I could have done. And, and so I, I moved to New York with the idea of chances are I'm probably going to fail and not be able to do this, but at least I'll know. At least I'll know if I if 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 this isn't going to work out, or you know, I I didn't want to continue with doubt, and that's sort of what drove me to go. That's so important, I think, because there's so few guarantees in theater and in performance. It's a very vulnerable and risky profession in the first place to try and and succeed. So you have to have an understanding of what is failure. How do you define that, and how does that impact you as a human being? How do you pursue through that? Yeah, that's, I mean, one of the biggest lessons that I learned in in theater, in writing, in comedy, in film, in, is understanding your relationship with failure, truly. I failed a lot. I still fail all of the time. And uh, I, it's, a, it's one of those things that you sort of become numb to because you can't, I, you know, I know so many extremely talented people who had one little tough break and you see it affect them and you see it affect their momentum. And that happened to me a lot early on. And I kind of eventually created this relationship with failure that was like, this isn't me failing and, and having to stop. It's me understanding what worked even within that failure and what I can move forward and how I can continue to grow from that. But, um, you know, I, I always try to tell that to kids that I mentor, to my own children, to, you know, classes I talk to. It's like, you, you have to fail. You know, if, if you're not failing, you're not growing. You know, it means you're not trying new things. And that's what we should be doing as storytellers, as as innovators, as as people who are trying to put something different out into the world. The only way we know that is by testing boundaries. And testing boundaries means failing. Right. You know, and it's I, I, I attribute so much of that back to first semester with Andy in LCC. Improv is constant trial and error, constant. And understanding that this improv may not work, but I'm going to take a freaking swing at this and maybe they're not going to laugh. Maybe they are, but you know what? I'm going to get back in the next game and I'm going to try again. And I started honing that even back then. So, um, you know, all of these moments, even though I'm, I'm a filmmaker now, I'm not an actor. All of the things I learned at LCC in the theater and in all of the plays and everything that I did, it, it all adds up to ultimately being a storyteller. And, you know, none of the time was wasted. It, it all built me to be the storyteller that I am. That's wonderful. Well, you tell a lot of stories and multiple projects completed and in the works. The the sentences, the one um, that I know we've, we've shown here on campus and has been shown in the community and that uh, uh, was a Sundance winner and an Emmy winner and HBO has that. But I think Andy has an interesting question that he brings to this, also the standpoint of choosing plays. Andy? Well, it sounds like you're very busy and inundated with projects. I was wondering if you you have a conscious criteria that you use when you get offers to be on projects, or if a lot of it's intuition. I, I notice in... A lot of the things that I've seen, there's a, a theme of compassion that runs through and struggle through adversity, that runs through 
We Are the Brooklyn Saints and and The Sentence and uh, The 30 for 30. I forget the name of that. But Breakaway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But yeah, your, your criteria now that your um, maybe not things are coming to you rather than you uh, seeking out things or is, is that a misconception? Are you still seeking out your own projects? How do you choose now what to be involved in? That's a great question. And that's something that has truly evolved uh, since the sentence and, and before that. I will say that I lead in my career with the idea that I'm not willing to be in it at all costs. You know, I, I'm not here to just do anything I possibly can to remain working as a filmmaker. And, you know, that sounds maybe pretentious, maybe all these things, but like I, I have, a, a, after the sentence came out, I struggled with the idea that people might think this is all I do. The sentence encapsulates everything that I am as a, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, and that that's what, what is going to happen. And it was a little bit crippling to me right after that happened because everything that came to me post the sentence was, here's another prison doc, here's another prison doc, here's another crime thing, here's another prison doc. Can you do a follow-up to the sentence? Can you do this? And I thought to myself, if this is what I have to do to continue to work in this field, then I don't think I'm going to do it anymore. And I legitimately was planning on not making another film. I'm saying I'm going to transition to something else and I'm going to figure something else out. And that's for a lot of reasons. You know, I struggled a ton post the sentence because I questioned documentary. I question it to this day. I question every project that I do because we strive as, as journalists, as documentary filmmakers to tell true stories that honor and, and uphold the uh, journalistic integrity of, of what we're doing. And, you know, the fact of the matter is the simple placement of a camera in a room changes that room and changes that atmosphere. And so it's something that I constantly struggle with it is, am I affecting the story too much? Am I changing the story too much by simply being there? And does that turn into exploitation? And those are things that weigh very heavily on me, especially because my first film was about my family, you know, and I wanted so badly to not exploit them. I wanted to share their story and, you know, tell a story not of a family falling down, but a family standing up. To me, that's that's a much more interesting story. And so I waited a little while post the sentence and uh, I, I sought out different projects and different things that I, I had interest in. And they were very different from the sentence on purpose. And a lot of people at the beginning were like, no, you're probably going to want to do another crime thing. You're probably. And so, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I, I, I'm not going to. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a, a producer who I give a ton of credit to, I don't want to name names, but they came to me and, and they actually came to me before I made the sentence and said, because at that time I was a cinematographer and a producer and, and she came to me and said, are you a director? And I said, why do you ask that? And, you know, and they had noticed in some of the things that I'd been shooting and things I've been working on, common threads throughout them. And she said, I think, I think you're a director. And this is before the sentence came out. And then the sentence came out and then she came to me and she was like, I have something different for you. And will you take a look at this? And, you know, and it was a different story from the sentence. And, and it really, you know, to me, that was one of the most important projects because, which was the Brooklyn Saints, it was one of the most important projects because it was very different from the sentence in almost every way. And I remember telling uh, my editor at the time, Viri, I was like, this just cannot suck. And she was like, why not? I was like, because this is, this is 
it's different. And it's me showing that I can tell a different kind of story in a different genre, in a different format with people who aren't my family. It was the real gut check for me to understand that I'm a storyteller. And then if you look at my my credit list, they're very different. They're, you know, I, I do sports. I've done sports documentaries. I've done crime documentaries. I've done documentaries about theater. I've done documentaries uh, about music, musicians, and, and all of them do have a common thread, and that is humanity and empathy. You know, for example, the Brooklyn Saints is about a football team in East New York, Brooklyn. And when you hear about East New York, Brooklyn, what you hear about is gangs and murder and poverty and drugs and how difficult and, and all these things. And we hear those things because there is truth to that, 100%. But I know that there are other truths there as well. I know that people there do not need to be represented by the tropes and, and all the things that go into where they come from. I wanted to tell it from the reverse side and tell the other truth. So I didn't go in with the idea of this is going to be a poverty porn uh, poverty stricken woe is me film about these kids who are just trying to make it despite all the things like no these kids are great the organization is great the coaches are great the parents are great they can be great without an asterisk mm. you know I grew up in in sports and I grew up not in East New York but I grew up in lower income underserved communities and that could have very well been painted in a, in a portrait of like what was me and I'm an, I'm a victim and all these things. But like, no, I saw beauty and I experienced beauty and I experienced love and I experienced all of those things. So I wanted to show that there because I, I, I say with projects like that, I'm there to tell the truth, maybe not the truth that you think you know, but I'm there to tell other truths. And that goes into every single project that I do. And when I'm picking them, you know, honestly, the evolution of getting married and having kids, because these things take so long and I, and I work so hard in them, I really think about my, my wife and, and my kids first because I spend a lot of time traveling and away from home and I want my kids to understand at one point, like daddy was gone because he was trying to put something great into the world. He was trying to tell a story that can, that can change perspectives and understand that people are complex and, and can have different versions of what people think they are. Not to say other forms of this media aren't great, but I really try to ground the things that I work on and things that I believe in and that I'm proud to put out into the world. There's a, a lot of jazz listeners on uh, the station here, and uh, I was reminded of one of the projects you uh, worked on. So people have an idea of the breadth of the kinds of things you worked on. Uh, you worked on a project with uh, Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock, and Wayne Shorter passed away. Yeah. And you said they were doing a Miles impersonations. So. Yeah. The, so I have to say, when I did that project, I was invited to go to Osaka, Japan for International Jazz Day a few years ago. And to say I was a jazz fan would have been a complete lie. Like I had certainly heard jazz in my life, but I wasn't. I wasn't an expert in it by any means, but I was invited to go and make a behind the scenes documentary and like work on the show. And I found myself on stage, you know, testing my camera and things like that is like Herbie Hancock walks up to the piano and Wayne Shorter's sitting there and Esperanza Spaulding and Gregory Porter. And to be honest, I didn't know who many of them were. And one of the people who brought me there, one of the producers was looking at me bug eyed. And I was like, what is everyone looking at me? Because I was just sitting there with the camera kind of filming them. They're, this like little jam session starts, this impromptu jam session. And all of these 
world-renowned jazz artists just start walking on the stage with their instruments. And I just am filming because it's like I'm there to film. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, you shouldn't, and, and the, like, I, if I'd known who they were, I probably be like, okay, I'm going to step away and not do this. But I was like, I'm here to film, so I'm going to film people. Um, and but, I bet you, I bet what you got was wonderful. It was beautiful. I, I wish I had the footage. It all went to the producers, mm. but for a week I, I was just able to hang out with, I went with Wayne Shorter over to um, the Osaka College because they have a whole jazz session there like a, a school there and he went to speak and it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life like riding over in a car with Wayne Shorter who I was getting to know on the way there and we we get there and I remember I'll never forget he sits down and the moderator comes up and asks so Wayne what brings you to Osaka and he spoke for like an hour and 30 minutes and she never said another word and it was such a, a roller coaster of knowledge and and true wisdom and there were times and I was like what is he talking about like what is going on because it goes in these like tangents and things but he would always like draw the 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 crowd back a little bit with something and then he'd go in these tangents and then at the end he says this sentence and it just encapsulates everyone and I was like this is jazz like he, he literally lived and spoke jazz you know all in so it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life just to be around people who are just so in tune to, to all of those frequencies that I, that were, that were so foreign to me. You were also working on, or, or perhaps have completed by now, another documentary on a musician, you know, just one I'm going to ask, uh, I don't even need to ask. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah. So I, uh, have been fortunate enough to, um, have just shot and directed the Carlos Santana documentary. You know, they'd been trying to make a, a documentary with Carlos for a long time and the stars sort of aligned and I was brought in to meet with him and luckily everyone agreed that I was the one who should direct this and I'm really excited about the the film and I think that you know much like a lot of my other projects I tried to figure out what this what my lens into it was and why I should be the one to tell it and what possibly sets it apart and you know I think that again like most of my stories it's it's not this a victimhood story of a musician. It's about a, a somebody who believed in themselves. It's about somebody who put it all on the line and and went, af went after their dream and is truly great, you know, truly sacrificed a lot to become the person that he became. And, and he saw that at a very early age, what he could possibly do and what he knew he was going to be. So it's a story of that. And, you know, there'll be things that you recognize. There'll be things, obviously, songs that you recognize and moments in history like Woodstock that you recognize. But I, you know, I tried to tell a complete story of the, of the man, of the person, of who he is as a human being and, and what it's like to be in a room with Carlos. Yeah. So uh, I hope I hope it resonates with people. That's great. I'm looking forward to that. So, Andy, you had Rudy talk with your acting for the camera students. What were you hoping might rub off on them? Oh, I think what Rudy had to say was a great thing for them to hear because they're they're just which which was about developing a kind of a resilience and not taking rejection so uh, personally uh, when they start out. And that was great for them to hear. I think having that come from somebody like Rudy who's had so much success it is I think kind of reassuring 
for them. I, I forget the exact phrases he had, but it was, you could almost see their shoulders relaxing a little bit, like, okay, I don't need to, you know, in the next year, <laughs> get to this, when he talked about the amount of time he spent. Right, that it took, you yeah. spent at least nine years and, and a number of years working as an unpaid intern in order to get the film experience, the the variety of film experience that, even though you didn't know that you would end up doing what you're doing now, but but you were committed to that. Yeah, I I saw that too. Um, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned truth before because I think a lot of it circles back to that for for young people, for anybody to find their truth. Often as a young person, that's that's really hard, especially we're bombarded with so many images of success, which may or may not be real, but it's it's hard to kind of decipher. And as Andy said, the relaxation when you shared that, uh, that sigh of relief, like, yeah, I don't, I don't have to be perfect right away. And it kind of ties back to failure too. But I thought you had a really great way of drawing their attention calmly and where they started out kind of bouncing off the walls a little bit. Pretty soon they were they were listening to you, and that's very powerful. Did you have someone who played that role for you when you were early on or even, you know, at, at other stages? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that as I have grown in, in my life and in, in career, uh, I, I look back on early on when I was when I wanted to be an actor and a writer and, and even early on when I was diving into filmmaking, one of the things I like to to do with people who are interested in, in any of these creative fields is try to demystify what it means. Because growing up here in Lansing, being an actor, being a filmmaker, being any any of those things felt like such a far away thing. It felt like something that was so unattainable that even when I went to New York, I was like, I'm here, but like the people who are doing it are, are these different people who come from different places that I'm never going to be able to infiltrate and you know slowly but surely I was able to build networks and build a career that slowly allowed me to get into different rooms and meet different people and one of the things that I first started to notice as I started to meet these people is they're people they're human just like me they have insecurities they have things that they are still working on. They are not perfect. And the other thing I started to understand as I got to know some of these people, and some of them are my friends now, and, and, I, and I get to understand their history and where they come from, is that there isn't a roadmap. There isn't anything that I could go and tell any of the students in that class and say, look, if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to make it. And I think that that's both a little frustrating, but also like, at least for me, it alleviated my stress of saying, well, I didn't go to this college. I didn't go to this film school. I hadn't had a film made by the time I was 24. I didn't do that. As soon as I started to realize that we all have our own paths, I was like, okay, I'm running my own race. And that's what I want people to, especially people who are wanting to go into these fields is like, you're running your own race. It's, it's a marathon against yourself, truly. And the finish line is, is your finish line. Like you, you just keep on going. There's no, 
you don't have to do something by a certain time or age or, or, or whatever. And, and I think understanding what success means, I mean, there are so few people who actually make a living doing this. Right. And that was my first marker of quote unquote success way before I won the Emmy, way before any of these other things happened. You know, I was on a panel one time and they were like, with your recent success. And I said, and, 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 you know, we were doing a panel in front of a bunch of students and a bunch of, you know, people who wanted to work in the field. And they said, with your recent success after the, you know, 12 years of, of doing all the stuff. And I said, I appreciate what you're saying, but we need to back up a little bit because we're, we're telling everyone in this crowd that success means winning an Emmy. I was like, that's great. I'm grateful that I did that. I'm grateful that I have my experience. It is certainly a, 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 an amazing acknowledgement, but success for me came about seven years before that, eight years before that, when I could look at myself and say, I'm a filmmaker. I'm paying my bills and I'm, I'm paying my rent and I'm living my life by telling stories, by being involved in that process. That was success for me. That's beautiful. And it's not, it isn't holding the award in your hand. It's not that single moment. It's all the moments because that's our life. Our yeah. life is, is full of moments. But speaking of moments, our moments together on this podcast yeah. are coming to an end. Um, but what beautiful, wonderful advice, because we each do need to find our own path and our own inevitable finish line. And it's so hard not to compare. And so thank you so much for sharing your experience and your wisdom that you found. And uh, I know you've got a show coming up. We're going to bring you back on to talk about coconuts. <laughs> and thanks to Andy Callis, theater professor and mentor of many, and to Rudy Valdez uh, for joining me today. And thank you all for tuning in uh, to connect with me or our guests. Visit lccconnect.org, where you'll find this information in the notes for this episode. You'll also find other episodes of Galaxy Forum and all the LCC Connect programming. Special thanks to our technical producer, Dedalian Lowry, and to Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. Mm-hmm.